Hello, this is Dr. Shiva. Welcome to our podcast, Get Educated or Be Enslaved. Episode 730, air date August 24th, 2020. Book and Periscope. Okay, hi everyone in Instagram world. Hello everyone on um, Facebook, YouTube, as well as Periscope. So we're going to wait for people to join. It's a little bit late, but uh, we're going to have a very interesting educational talk before you go to bed on what is revolution. That's what we're going to talk about. What is revolution? Because um, we just did an amazing event uh, on no forced vaccinations. We call this wonderful rally. Typically when these anti-vaxxers, you know, do these things, they try to keep it very contained to a small set of people and no one shows up. We had close to 200 people show up on the Boston Common within less than, you know, 36 hours notice is quite extraordinary because of the politics that we're sharing. So with people joining, hi Pamela, uh, Ken. So we'll wait for people to join. Uh, we know tomorrow's Monday, but we think it's very important to educate people. One of my goals is to raise people's political consciousness so we, get, we don't get lost in terminology and words. And that's what the establishment wants us to do. They never really wanna educate us on anything real, left and right, black and white, you know, support this, support that. They don't want to educate us on anything. So one of the things is, what is revolution? You have all these people talking about socialism and fascism and all these isms, communism. What are they? And one of the important discussions is I've been very, very, you know, as many of you know, I've been interested in science and medicine, but I've also been interested in how change occurs. And for that matter, what is revolution? What is revolution? You know, I have a book that I have right here, we'll come back to call System and Revolution, which all of you uh, can get for those of you donating to the campaign, and I'll come back to this. But I've been very interested since I was a kid, and I'll share with you that history. What is revolution? How do we change the world? And, you know, we have people like Marx who've talked about revolution, right? Or Che Guevara, which some people have heard about on the left side. And then people like Thomas Paine and people like John Locke. And I actually have many people. So I'm going to uh, share with you or fighters who stood up to things. So what is revolution? Is there a scientific definition of it? So I've studied it. I've, uh, you know, shared other people's views. And I don't really, uh, I'm not really into uh, bucketing people because I think we need to have an objective view of this because we need to understand what the left things, what the right things, what the center things, because then we can make up our own minds and modernize that definition. So hi everyone from uh, California from Massachusetts, people are logging in, great to see you, Oklahoma, et cetera. So, uh, so we need to understand what is revolution. Uh, most of us who are starting to see the attack on truth and freedom and health, we want revolution. But if we don't really understand what is revolution, we could be misled and get back the same old, same old. And that's happened before in history. So it's really important to understand what is revolution. So before I start, many of you know um, that I'm running for U.S. Senate, and you can go right to our website, Shiva for Senate, S-H-I-V-A numeral for Senate.com. We have a lot of great things going on the website. First of all, if you click on the events, uh, those of you on Instagram, you can go to Shiva numeral for Senate.com. We just had the rally against forced vaccinations. Again, this was on the Boston Common. Amazing people showed up. This wasn't just the vaccine mothers, which typically people like Kennedy and these people have just exploited those people, really haven't done much for them except contain the movement. But we bought a lot of working people into it, and that's going to strengthen this movement. Um, tomorrow, I'm going to, uh, or on the 24th, I'm going to Walpole. I go all across Massachusetts. I'm on the ground every day. We're running a real campaign, bottoms up. And one of the most important things everyone can do to support our campaign is, A, you can volunteer for the campaign. One of the most important things is you can tell people they, sh they should be voting on September 1st. So September 1st is a primary election. It's like the playoffs. The establishment, the deep state establishment, doesn't want people to vote in primaries because that's where they put their flunkies in. That's where they put their lawyer lobbies puppets in. So what ends up happening is by the time you get to the championships known as the general elections in November, they already have one of their idiots in there. So they don't care which one of them loses. They always win because they got one of their puppets to control it. We must get everyone to vote in the September 1st primary for Shiva for Senate. That's here. That's why we put it right up on the website here, as you can see. The other thing is anyone who supports the campaign, donates to the campaign, gets access to the copy of the ebook, System and Revolution, which is going to be the 
topic we're going to talk about today. What is revolution? What is a system? This book will really educate you from a scientific perspective so you don't get lost in all the BS of using terminologies and this and that, um, that it really inspires you to get educated. Those principles are embodied in that book, but using those principles, you can start understanding how to use them in the laboratory of your own body. And that's through a tool called Your Body, Your System. Um, by the way, you must be in the United States, uh, a resident of the United States to donate to a federal campaign. So if you want to donate, please be in the US. However, those of you who want access to the book as well, uh, well as the tools, you can go right to Your Body, Your System. And you, if you go to Get Started Now, you get the same access, you know, you get the book and you get access to the tool. So please take advantage of that, your body, your system. But when you go through this, you're gonna understand that all systems in the universe have three particular elements, the movement aspect of energy, information, and matter called transport, conversion of information, matter, and energy, and storage of structure. And you can see right here with this tool, your body, your system, you can take those systems concepts, analyze yourself through a series of questions, figure out what kind of system you are. Then you can figure out how your body has moved away from where it likes to be, or for that matter, any system, your car, you don't take care of it. It moves away from its optimal performance. Um, and that moving away is denoted by the black dot and how you can manipulate foods and supplements and exercise to bring you back to you. That's what this tool allows. And so please donate to the campaign, tell your friends, you know, we are fighting against a very, very wealthy establishment who doesn't want us to win, but we've raised a lot of money single dollars from all of you and that's what funds our lawn signs all those things it's a bottoms up movement so go to shiva for senate and support the campaign okay so that's what i wanted to start with right there to let you know that there is a real political philosophy behind everything that this campaign's about it's not just haphazard so what we're going to talk about today that i want to talk about is what is revolution okay what is revolution? And if we can really understand this, we can get belong beyond all the political rhetoric, right? Because that's what the establishment uses. They brand people this, Nazis or fascists or socialists or, you know, nationalists, etc. And no one really understands what revolution is. So we're going to go beyond left or right. And we're going to really look at some of these people, who they are, what they've said, and what they actually stood for from people like, as I mentioned, uh, che Guevara to Marx to uh, Locke and uh, Thomas Paine, etc. So you start building a real um, uh, uh, educational model for this. So let's let's begin uh, right away. Let's go right into this. So first of all, um, what we're going to cover is what's my motivation? What got me interested in this? We're going to look at revolutionaries' definitions from people who you may like or you may not like. It doesn't matter. We want to go and actually read their works. A lot of people attack people on the right or the left, but they don't. They've never read their stuff. I've actually taken time to read it as a scientist. Then we're gonna look at the principles of systems and then we're gonna talk about my definition of what a revolution is from the perspective of someone scientifically who's analyzed this so we can get a better idea of what a revolution is, okay? What is revolution? So my motivation as some many of you know was I grew up in uh, two different worlds in India. I grew up in the world of as a child, you know, up until seven, I grew up in India. After seven, I grew up in working class neighborhoods in New Jersey. But I grew up in a very interesting world of Bombay, India, you know, cosmopolitan world, very, um, you know, everything you can imagine was in Bombay from all different languages, cultures, super wealthy people, etc. But I also grew up in a small village in deep South India, which looked like this, very different, you know, beautiful landscapes of temples, a um, lot of very hardworking people worked in the fields, like my grandmother. She used to plant rice and, um, you know, cotton. But my grandmother was also the village healer. She could observe your face, figure out what was in your body, and then would figure out the right medicine for the right person at the right time. It was not one size fits all medicine. And she used an ancient and traditional system of medicine, which is still practiced in India today, called Siddha or Ayurveda. They had the concept, if you look at this inverted triangle, what is existence, the unmanifest form Purusha and the manifest form Prakriti, how energies get created, how those energies congeal into different elements, how they give rise to what they call the tridoshas. And by the way, I'm not gonna discuss this, all the details, how they gave rise to the tissues in the body called dhatus and the physical body. So anyway, there is a system of medicine, but I also grew up with my grandmother telling me heroic stories of the great Rama 
in the Ramayana who fought evil. And then who had this, uh, and Shiva, who was my namesake, who was the one who was, who, who was also a fighter of evil and he supported good and righteousness. And the, the important great epic story of Rama and his friend Hanuman, the monkey god, and how they vanquished uh, and they fought against evil. So that inspired in me a very interesting desire to understand change because I had grown up as a low caste untouchable in India. And my mom shared with me these stories, how she was dealt with in very abusive ways. And in many ways, it's racism on steroids. So I grew up in this world of a grandmother who could heal. And I also grew up understanding at a very young, young age, by the time I was four, uh, I realized that I was, you know, we were treated less. I wasn't allowed into certain people's homes when I was a kid, told to stay outside, given water as though I was a leper or something in different glasses of water. So, um, and that's when I understood that my background was different, that there was a political difference. So my heroes weren't people like Gandhi. They were people like Bhagat Singh, who was a great warrior who actually took up arms against the British or people like Crazy Horse and others. So I was interested in revolutionary movements since I was a kid, as much as I was in medicine. So I wanna make that clear that I had a deep interest in both understanding political systems and revolutionary systems because I didn't understand why I was treated differently. And I wanted to understand how you could change that too as a, as a child. And I think it would be a natural thing if you grew up in circumstances where you don't feel like you're treated right. So my parents came here when I was seven years old. Um, I had a deep interest in revolutionary change. What is revolution? What are systems? And also, um, you know, uh, medical systems. By the time I was 14, I'd finished up calculus, as many of you know, started working full time uh, as a research fellow at Rutgers Medical School. I had the chance to go to NYU when I was a 14 year old kid, studied computer science by some of the greatest teachers. But I started after that experience, I, I got a full time job at what is now known as Rutgers Medical School, initially using my computer programming skill as a 14 year old kid to understand why babies were dying in their sleep, looking at their sleep patterns to see if I can predict mathematically when they would go into an apnea or stop breathing. But while I was in that medical school, I also did something else. I understood the system of communication called the inner office mail system, the inbox, the outbox, how people uh, constructed this thing called a memo, how they use carbon copy, how they used to put these letters into these envelopes and they were put into these pneumatic tubes. This was the inter office mail system. This is a system of communications long before, you know, electronic, you know, message, you know, they use phones, but you know, people did simple text messages in these big mainframe. But my job that I was given, one of the other jobs converting this entire system to the electronic version, I'm not talking about simple text messaging, but converting this entire system. That's what I did. I wrote 50,000 lines of code to convert this entire, the inbox, the outbox of folders into the electronic equivalent. And I called that system email, the first person to coin that term because the operating system only allowed five characters. So I wrote all the code, called it email, went off to MIT. When I was at MIT, the president of MIT said, hey, you should actually copyright this um, software because you couldn't patent it. And I called that system email and I got the first US patent. By the way, that date is coming up August 30th, which is actually seven days from today. Uh, seven days? Yeah, seven days from this Sunday where I was recognized as the inventor of email. And there's no ifs, ands, and buts around that, except that people want to create a controversy. Anyway, when I went to MIT, I was very interested in systems. I became a not only a good scientist and an engineer and a good student, but I was interested in revolutionary systems. What, 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 you know, why, how could you change the world? When I was a kid, my mom, my dear mom, my loving mom had told me about when the British came and they colonized India, there was only one king one man, my mom said, had courage, who was a revolutionary to stand up against the British East India Company to fight. He was a king who actually cared for his people. And he was actually sold out. And his name was Kattabomanan. You don't have to know that name. It's a hard name to pronounce. But, you know, he's on one of the Indian stamps. And I went and read about him. In fact, this is a scholarly paper written. So remember, I studied revolution like I study science. So this was a great paper and there's many of them, a scientific paper written called The Nation, The Religion, The Adventures of a Tamil Hero. I speak Tamil, Tamil Nadu down south. This guy was known as Virapandan Kattabuman, okay? And he, if you look at his history, he took on the British East India Company, quite extraordinary. 
Most of the Indians sold out their people, the Indian kings. He was the only king who fought back. He was captured by the British with, again, the betrayal of his another king called Vijaya Raghunatha Tondaman. Okay? He was sold out and he was hanged at Kathir on, which is a, a city, on October 16, 1799. So, but here was a man who was a revolutionary, he fought and was not willing to succumb to the British and wasn't willing to sell out. So he was one of the first introductions my mom gave me an idea of. And then as I came to MIT and I started researching stuff, one of the other people that I studied was Che Guevara. Again, some people say, well, you know, he murdered a lot of people, you know, and the people call him a leftist. And, and okay, so whatever that is, I want to understand, well, the guy must have to get to that level, he was a doctor. He was an Argentinian doctor. He didn't need to do this. What was he all about? What did he actually, what was his definition of revolution? So I studied many of his own writings. And by the way, most people don't even go study these people's writings. I actually nerded out on it. And again, studied it like science. What Che Guevara actually did was he came up with a theory of how do you create revolution? And we'll come to it. People like Marx said, well, you have to wait for the conditions to be right, right? Or people like John Locke said, you know, you have to work with the king and you have to ameliorate things um, that you, you know, you can't really change stuff as, except through legislative means, what he called the social contract. But um, Che Guevara had a very different view. He thought you could actually accelerate change through a theory that was by a French philosopher that he espoused called Foucault theory or Foucaultismo. It's really the foundations of guerrilla warfare or vanguardism. It's a little bit different than what I believe in that we need to build a bottoms up movement, encourage people. Che thought you could have a small group of revolutionaries, small fast moving paramilitary groups that could focus, that could provide like a center point of focus for getting people's popular discontent against a sitting regime and thereby lead a general revolution. So this was called Foucaultismo. And it's really guerrilla warfare. It's a little bit different than building people bottoms up. It was a core set of people would go do paramilitary actions, you know, violent actions to spur people into action. But that's what Che Guevara's definition was. In fact, when I was doing a lot of research on my book, you know, I used to tweet out different people's definition. This was his very famous quote. He said, the revolution is, is not an apple that falls when it is ripe which is what others had said. They said, you can't really change the world until people are ready. He said, you have to make it fall. So this is very different. Che Guevara believed that you could actually create revolution, a small group of people that you don't have to wait until people are actually in horrible conditions. So that was his definition of revolution. Again, this is a scientific analysis of this, this gentleman's view. Then you had people like John Locke. John Locke was really one of the, he's really the foundation of modern liberalism. So you notice when I speak, sometimes I'll put the word liberal in double quotes. The reason is that's a fake version of liberalism. John Locke was really, he had his view of revolution. In fact, he believed that we as human beings have the right to revolution. And this was a foundation of many ways of the Declaration of Independence, of many of the um, Enlightenment followers like Jefferson, et cetera. And, and John Locke wrote, wrote a series of essays, which I've read and I encourage people to read. It's the original work. I like going to the original work. And John Locke basically said that people have the right to revolution. They have the right to change things. And he said that government was really a social contract set up by the government, that the government was created to make sure that unfairness didn't take, take place. And he said government exists as a social contract among individuals to make things right. And this was denoted as classic liberalism. But the goal was government should not be too involved. Now, he really uh, promoted the idea where he said you should have like a Congress, right, a, a, a parliament, but the king should always be there. Um, and, and so he had sort of a mixed model. It was called a mixed model of democracy. The king is there, but there's this parliament. But John Locke believed, as you notice in uh, stuff I put out earlier, that he said by breach of trust, that means when those in power breach our trust, they forfeit the power. The people have a right to resume their original liberty, which is revolution. So he had, oops, this should really be, I was copying slides, let me fix this here. This is John Locke's definition. Sorry about that. John Locke, 
on revolution. Okay, so let's go back. So John Locke's definition was obviously very different. Okay, he believed there was a social contract and that people have the right to revolution, which means overthrow their government. And this is embodied in the Declaration of Independence, which says we have a right to rise up. And, and, and Jefferson was very influenced by this. Thomas Paine, great book, everyone should read it, called Common Sense. You should read it. One of, and, and, and Thomas Paine had very different ideas of social change and revolution, but this is one of the most extraordinary writings. Now, Paine believed that all men are equal at the point of creation. And he felt that the difference between kings and subjects, it's false. Because if all of us are equal, why is there the king better than all the subjects? You know, this may seem, you know, obvious to us, but in, in those days, you know, remember kings had told everyone else they had a direct connection to God and the creator. And we were all supposed to go through the king. So these, this was quite revolutionary for Thomas Paine to question this. Now, he did not believe in Locke's theory of, you know, uh, you know, revolutionary change because Locke was of the idea of setting up a constitutional monarchy, which means you still have the monarch and then you have the parliament. And Locke said, well, you know, yeah, the, the monarchy could take over, but the people could have more power. But um, Thomas Paine didn't believe in that. He believed that he attacked the constitutional monarchy of Locke because he said, whenever um, you have the monarch involved, power can concentrate. Okay. Um, Again, let me finish this. This was, again, uh, Thomas Paine. Sorry about that. Um, so one of um, Paine's famous quotes was this. He says, society is produced by our wants and government by wickedness, okay? So his view was how we create society when it's bottoms up. And this he, he was one of the ones to really push forward this idea of bottoms up. What people wants are, that defines society and government is created by wickedness top down. Okay. The other person is Karl Marx, which everyone knows Marxism, Karl Marx, um, one of the probably the most cited person in revolutionary history. So I've actually read the books of Das Kapital, like I've read Thomas Paine's work again, as a scientist, I'm very interested in revolution. So now what Marx wrote before, you know, in addition to Kapital, he wrote a thing called the Communist Manifesto. And his thesis was workers of the world unite. He had a definition of workers, by the way, which wasn't the Bernie Sanders definition. He believed workers should are people who actually have skills and they trade their, their value. In, and he called them wage slaves. And he defined the concept of historical materialism, where he started connecting history with changes in economic and governance systems. One of the first people to really do this, if you actually studied from a systems theory. And um, in fact, Engels, who was Marx's collaborator, he said, the worst people who uh, are Marxists, okay? He said, Marxists know nothing really about the writings of Marx, because most of them really didn't read this, okay? In fact, if you read the writings of Marx, they're actually closely related to the work of Adam Smith and actually classical liberalism in many ways. But um, one of the things Marx did do from a system standpoint is really bring around this stuff called, uh, uh, you know, historical materialism. And Marx said that revolutions in his definition are the locomotives of history. And I put this out a couple of years ago to, again, as I was researching my book, to let people understand these were different people. So you had Marx, you had Thomas Paine, you had people like uh, John Locke, Che Guevara, etc. So it's important to understand these because then we can figure out how to critique them. In my view, um, none of them uh, really understood systems, okay? So all their definitions were off, and in some cases, they misled people. And the reason was, be it any of these people, didn't really understand engineering systems theory. So when I wrote System and Revolution, I took a very different approach. I, I wanted to do a scientific analysis of revolution. And what came out of this is a very different definition of revolution, a very different definition based on an MIT systems approach. But I can say this because I spent time researching the others, you know, all these people that the left and the right, you know, talk about. So, but one of the things I wanted to share with you is we all need to understand before we go into this, what are systems, okay? What is a system? Because if we don't understand systems, it is very, very difficult to really understand what these people are actually talking about, okay? So let's go into systems thinking here, okay? By the way, um, Jen, I'm just going to, Jen, where, was everyone able to see the slides? Yes? 
Jen? I think Jen is there. Okay, good. So um, let me see if people were able to see the slides. Yes, good. Um, okay, so um, uh, so great. So let's talk about, thank you, Pamela. Let's talk about principles of systems because before we can define revolution, which many of these people got wrong, is they didn't understand systems because the science of systems really wasn't well-defined until really starting in probably the late 50s. So first of all, what is a system? What is a system? People use the word system, political system, the capitalist system, the feudal system. What is a system? A system of things wor working together, you know, parts of a mechanism or an interconnecting network, a complex whole. Well, this is a system. This is the back of a watch, all the different interconnected parts. The space shuttle engine is a system. That's what this is. A city is a system, all these interconnected parts. The cell is a system. This robot is a system. And one of the questions that I wanted to ask is, what do all systems have in common? Are there certain principles of systems? Well, if you take, by the way, you can, I'm doing a fast version of this, but if you actually go and take the systems and revolution, if you get the book, please, if you support the campaign or you go to your body, your system, you get access to the book. It's a great book, ebook, about 108 pages, but you can, I'm gonna give you sort of the shortened version of it just to get you excited about this, but, all systems have five elements, input, the stuff that comes into a system, the stuff that goes out of the system called the output, the movement of energy, matter, or information through that system, you know, like the dancer running through, you know, flying through the air, that's motion, that's transport or nerve signals. So that's the transport part. Conversion is the aspect of taking one form of energy, matter, information connecting to another. Solar cells take photons and they convert it to electricity, the diesel generator, in, behind my building takes fuel and it converts it to mechanical energy. Then the third part, the fifth part of a system is storage, a structure. The pot, when you're cooking something, is a storage element or battery stores energy. So I hope that's clear. So these are the five elements of basic systems. Now, however, there are other kinds of systems. Not only this, but you also have uh, part of this, you have the dumb system, right? You turn on the electricity input, right? the switch, and then you get the flow of energy, the light bulb turns on, which is stores all the heat, and you have the conversion where the filaments convert the electricity to energy. This is called a simple system. You turn the switch on and you get light. The water faucet, you twist it, little input, you get water flowing, the, the, the water that was stored flows through, it gets converted because of the valve and you get flow. Or another dumb system is, could be you, okay? Or people who sit there, take the input into a fake news TV commercial, you know, or watch a Burger King ad and go buy a burger, but energy is being transported into you. You convert that into an action and the storage of the structures, in this case, a room that you're sitting in. So the, so the establishment, listen very carefully, wants you to be a dumb system, an input, take an input, you know, and put out an output. That's what the environment, that's what, the establishment wants. However, what we really want to consider is what is an intelligent system? Because before we can talk about revolution, we need to talk about a system, what I call the basic system, but there also something is called it much more of an intelligent system. Okay. The intelligent system is something that not just takes the input and gives an output, but one of the most important things of intelligent systems, if you want to express your own intelligence, you have a vision of somewhere you want to go. You want to, you have a goal. So intelligent systems beyond those five elements have a sixth thing called a goal. The other thing intelligent systems have, they figure out where they're at today, the output, they have a sensor which observes where they wanna go, like the weight machine, you know, or the weighing machine, or your ears or your eyes, you're looking at where you're at, the sensor. And that is able to say, okay, this is where I wanna go, but that's where I'm at. And it's able to calculate the difference and then be able to manipulate something called a controller. It says, I wanna go here, but I'm over here. So I'm gonna take that difference and the controller, which could be your brain, in the case of the humans, in the case of a thermostat, we'll talk about a brain there, which says, okay, I'm gonna send a new input in to get an output, okay? In the midst of disturbances, things that try to throw you off course. And this is basically an intelligent system. It has a goal, it has sensors, control and disturbance. So I'm gonna just walk you through something very simple so you get it. If you're sitting in your living room, 
your, your boilers downstairs, you have the particular room temperature and your goal is to make sure the temperature in your room is 78 degrees. That's a goal. So what do you do? You have a thermostat, right? In the thermostat is a sensor, the thermometer. It says, okay, I want to be at 78, but the actual temperature is 70. So then because of that difference, it'll send a signal to the controller, which will let more hot water into that living room. Okay. Turns it on, turns a valve on. And now the temperature may go up to 80 degrees. You've overshot your goal. And what will you do? You'll turn off. The controller goes off this way. Your furnace is going on and off. And then your temperature goes down. And then you go a little bit too low. You send in more hot water. And then finally, voila, you achieve your goal. This is what's called a feedback control system. Okay. This is true intelligence where you're looking at where you want to go. You're feeding back and you're changing. Okay. And by the way, I just taught you an MIT control systems, a year long course in the, in the, in the last uh, minute. Okay, so, but this is control system theory. And all of this is occurring in the midst of a disturbance, which means if you put that thermometer in the long, wrong place and there's a drafty window, you could get the wrong signal, okay? And this is what life is about. You set a goal, that green line, you're trying to achieve it. But the important thing to understand is you don't achieve the goal overnight. You gotta figure out where you are, constantly making adjustments. You don't just become healthy overnight. You just don't become achieving your weight overnight. You have to see where you want to go, where you are, and you're constantly manipulating. So this is something important to understand. Intelligent systems have a goal. They know where they want to go and they're constantly adjusting their input and their output. Okay. So you just learned what is a system and how, what is an intelligent system? All right. Now, in summary, you have the input and the output. This is what's called your basic system. This is your intelligence system. Now, one of the things I did after I finished my PhD at MIT in engineering, where I learned a lot of these concepts, and I finished my degree in biological engineering, where the PhD's in, where I learned a lot about biological systems. And in the world of biology, this is a language that they use, genes and proteins and regulatory structures. But this is a language my grandmother used a very different way of understanding the body. So we understand the body like this. She understood the body like this. So one of my goals was, could you look at these systems and integrate them together? And that led to me after I finished my PhD to go back to India. This was on the front page of MIT after my four degrees. I went back to India to see if I could meld these Eastern and Western systems together. And what I realized was in the East, they didn't call it input output transport, right? Like this they actually used a different terminology. They used the word karma, which was really not a religious term. It means action. Karma follows the fruits of action. They used the word vatha, motion, pitta, conversion, and kapha, storage. And then similarly, when you looked at it from a control systems in the Indian yoga systems, you had a goal, which your guru would teach you. You had the indriyas, which were our five senses. You had the manas, which were your mind, and you would make decisions on what action to take. Karma meant action. And so when I put all this together, I realized that the traditional systems of Indian philosophy were not just a medical system, which is what my grandmother used these terms, but they were actually related to control systems. So I developed a very rich appreciation for systems. And I think much better than all these people I've talked about, Che or Marx or Thomas Paine or Locke, that I actually gained a deep understanding of what are systems. And that became the opportunity for me by the way, as I said, you can go to your body, your system, and you can use these concepts, yourbodyyoursystem.com. Or by the way, as I mentioned, if you donate to the campaign, you get the tool, et cetera. But so over those years, I actually built a deep understanding of systems. And I wanted to now go redefine revolution from a scientific standpoint, because I felt like Marx didn't get it right. Che Guevara didn't get it right. Thomas Paine didn't really get it right. And John Locke didn't get it right. And it's, and these guys did not understand engineering systems. So what I realized was that when you actually looked at systems, and I want you to follow this, that systems actually undergo phase changes. So think about ice, that under the right conditions, it becomes liquid, right? Under the right condition, that liquid, you know, when you boil it, becomes gas and so on. And if you really look at it, you have liquid can go through evaporation to become gas, or you can condensate, you can go back to liquid. Liquid can freeze to go to ice, or you can melt to go to liquid. Solids can go into, you know, right from gases can become solids through sublimation or deposition, okay? Point is that 
change. Oops, I forgot to share this. Sorry about that, everyone. So this is the slide I wanted to share. So states of matter can go through these different transitions and there's different ways through which systems, liquid is a system, gas is a different state of a system and solid. So my point, what I'm trying to share with you here is systems of matter can go through different changes. And I'm gonna sort of give away the, 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 the story here, but my view is revolution is change in those phase systems. So revolution occurs when you change states, okay? When you go from solid to liquid, that's a change because you're going from one state of existence to another state. Liquid to gas is another revolutionary change, okay? So revolution from a scientific standpoint, my, my standpoint is when systems go from one change, one state that they're in to another change, okay? So another way of looking at this is you have systems, Systems are defined by the relationships between the connections in those systems. In the case of liquid, the interconnections between the oxygen, the H2O molecules are very close. That's why it becomes is liquid. As you heat it up, the the you know the uh, the bonds break. You get gas, and you can go all the way to where the wa water molecules are much tighter together. But it's the relationships. So systems are defined by relationships between the objects. Okay. And, and hold on, it's going to get really interesting. And these relationships are defined by properties. Well, what's a relationship? A relationship is a way in which two or more people or things are connected. Okay. So if you, you could have a really good friendship, that means you're really good friends or you could not have a good friendship. Okay. So the relationships are defined by the interconnections between the objects. So a property is an attribute or quality or characteristic of something. So for example, it, it defines a quality of those relationships. So for example, you could have, these are different qualities of systems, okay? You could have a system that's very adaptable, right? You meet people, they're very adaptable to things. You could have a system that's freedom. Freedom is a property of a system. Inclusivity, privacy. You could create systems that are highly private. You protect people's information. You could create systems that are reliable. Right? There's trust between the, the, the components of the system, safety. So you could be designing a very interesting you know, computer program that's reliable, it's scalable, but these are properties of systems. But what I wanna share with you is the nature of these properties is defined by the relationships, as I said. So when the founding fathers created America, they wanted to have properties of this system, checks and balances, freedom, all right? They wanted to have the ability of, if you go back to this list over here, let's look at it, some of the properties that they wanted were, were um, safety of people, right? Security. They wanted things like auditability, right? The checks and balances system. They wanted competition. They wanted decentralization. They wanted entrepreneurialism. They wanted freedom. And based on those properties, they then decided to create certain relationships. So that's why they had the court systems. Then they had the legislative systems and then they had the executive branch. They actually engineered these systems so we could have those properties as I just talked about, freedom, et cetera. I hope this is making sense, okay? So this is a very different approach. So if you look at human beings who produce, you know, who offer their labor and then you have capitalism, right? Which people sharing their labor and this is one way of looking at the system. So. In, if you actually go look at Marx, and if you study it, what Marx was the first guy from a social scientific standpoint, he was in an industrial um, England, and he was trying to understand these relationships. Hey, how do people relate? What is a worker? And how does capital, money, understand that? Now, he did not get everything right because he was living in a time when he didn't have access to all the data. It's almost retrospective, but one of the things he understood was he was looking at different kinds of systems. There was a time when we lived as hunter-gatherers. The way we survived, the way our economic system was based on was we weren't we were uh, tribes people. We went and hunted. The women typically gathered. That's how we survived. In those hunter-gatherer societies, the relationships between people was what he called primitive communism, which means it was relative equality and in fact, in many of the societies, a governance model, so the economic system was primitive communism and the 
political system was matriarchal. Women typically ran those societies, interestingly enough. Women ran those societies, okay? Now, when you had this phase change, which is what I call revolution, going from ice you know, to liquid or liquid to gas, when the plow was created, okay, which was revolutionary, or domestication of animals, when that occurred, we moved away from being hunter-gatherer societies and a revolutionary change took place, which is mo more, no different than, again, ice going to liquid. And that change was we became farming. Farming became the way that we survived. We didn't run around like nomads. And the political system was feudalism. You had a monarch, a king. We were serfs. We gave our money, a portion of our money to him. He gave us protection. And the, system, and the political system was monarchy, right? I hope this is making sense. So when the phase shift occurred, when the plow was created, again, going like from ice to liquid, we went from hunter-gatherer societies to farming societies. And the relationships between people change. It was king and serf, okay? And the other observation was another change that he observed was then we created the steam engine and technologies and boats and ships that started trading. The industrial revolution took place and the political system then was capitalism, which is what we have today. The relationships between us is you have a guy, someone who comes up with an idea, an innovation, brings people together, they organize labor, and he and Marx saw the political system was bourgeois democracy, all right? Now, I don't think he understood my phase change concept, but he didn't get everything right, obviously, and then he projected into the future saying there would be some other new type of system relationship and, the, and he projected it would be socialism and it would be workers' governance. This was his predicting into the future. Now, I think all of these people didn't understand engineering systems theory. My view is revolution is when a phase shift occurs. And I believe real revolution occurs when it's bottoms up. So let me explain where I'm fundamentally different and I disagree with people. These people, be it, uh, many of these people believed it was always top down, a finite set of people telling us what to do. And I think this is where all of them got it wrong. I think people like Thomas Paine were headed in the right direction, which he believed in bottoms up. He didn't like the concept of a monarchy, but be it John Locke, he always thought the monarchy should bear, be it people like Che Guevara, he thought it was a small group of people who were gonna you know, spur revolution, or Marx didn't have his definition, fully definitions, right? But it still was the enlightened set of small sets of people, which I disagree with. But that's what my discoveries showed when I started really studying this, that my definition was fundamentally different, which was a bottoms up model. Because I believe our goals, three things, working people's goals, everyday people, truth, freedom, and health. And if you really look at it, the inputs to achieve that goal, remember this is our goal from a systems perspective, is very different kinds of input. We need to have inclusivity, unlike what you know these other people, except Thomas Paine, um, only a small set of people. I believe we need to include as many people as possible. That's one principle. Transparency, not just a bunch of people doing guerrilla warfare, but you need to have openness, transparency, second principle. We need to take a systems approach. Again, I wanna really recommend, it's not I'm trying to sell a book, by the way, anyone who donates to the campaign gets it free, but what system and revolution really is about is saying you need to take a systems approach. You need to start understanding, you need to take an engineering systems approach to understand the interconnections between things. That's a systems thinking approach. And then the other principle is decentralization. Again, these are my inputs to create revolution. Inclusivity, transparency, systems thinking, decentralization. And then we need freedom. Okay, we need freedom, which means the ability to transfer information, open debate, discourse. And then finally, it needs to be personalized. Many of these people viewed everyone as a lump, be it, you know, the subject like Locke did, you know, government taking care of this lump of people or Marx, just a lump of workers or Che Guevara, little people and a set of people. But I think Thomas Paine, again, was a little bit closer. But these are the principles that I believe help us achieve our goal from a systems perspective of truth, freedom and health. Now, the opposition, again, inclusivity, just to be clear, means inviting all. Transparency means openness, open discourse and debate, systems thinking, seeing the whole, decentralization, meaning direct and everywhere, and then freedom, which means we don't give one inch to censorship. 
not one inch to Google or Facebook or YouTube trying to censor us. And we need personalization, which means let many people's ideas come because then the best ideas can come. Now, having said this, we need to also understand something else. The goals of our enemy who do not want real change, they actually want to keep things the way they are. And the goals of our enemy are very different from a system standpoint. They want power, profit and control Again, power, profit and control. That's their goal. And how do they achieve that? The inputs they control are exclusivity, right? Keeping everything right. So in the case of you, if you look at, you know, Marx and Lenin, they always wanted to keep things very tight. This is what we today call communism, a small set of people. And I would argue we're heading to that in this country where you have a small set of aristocrats. They also did not believe in uh, transparency, but opacity. You hide everything, a few set of people. They believed in reductionism. What is reductionism? It's not seeing the whole, it's seeing just the parts. So you have the big elephant. It's like the blind men just touching the pieces. They don't want you to see the whole. Now, when you can't see the whole, you can't really execute real change. You basically say, oh, this complex climate change, let's just lower this one variable called CO2. That's reduction. Looking at little pieces, then you can manipulate truth. The other pieces, they wanted centralization of power centralized, a small guerrilla team, right? A small set of activists who tell people what to do, okay? Or the monarchy, etc. And they want censorship. They don't want ever. they want to censor stuff. So if you look at many of these so-called revolutionary movements, the reason they failed is they never, they always did control of their people. They didn't have broad freedom. And this country is also heading into that. Many of these failed regimes, um, if you look at what happened in Cuba, right? It was the Castro brothers controlling everything, right? Or you look at what happened in Russia. Initially, there was a revolution, things happened, and then Stalin came in and controlled it, and so on. And we have that same control, I would argue, taking place in this country. And they depersonalize things. They don't, they want to look at things as lumps. They don't want to see things as, you know, much more unique, or unique human beings. So they, they want exclusivity, few, the elite opacity, hidden, reductionism. You want to look at the one part, centralization, big pharma, big media, big government, censorship, shut up and fall in line and depersonalization, treating you as a statistic. So I hope this is, uh, I know I'm hitting you with a lot of information, but again, we want to really understand that someone just said, yes, Russia became a set of oligarchs, right? Because they forgot going bottoms up. They were afraid of their own people. Same thing with what happened in Cuba, all right? Because when you concentrate power on a few set of people and you think only a few can do it, you're always gonna lead to power issues. And that's what's happened. Now, some people say, hey, we wanna do a revolution and we gotta do what the enemy does. The end justifies the means. Again, all many of these people try to do the same thing. However, what you find is that we have to have some ethics and I wanna talk about that. Ethics means, you're not going to win by using the enemy's methods. That's going to lead to losing. So let's talk about when revolutions have taken place, when they have been successful. And one of the ones I'd like to t- look at is the labor movement of the late 1800s. Look, right here in Massachusetts, starting the, in the mid to late 1800s, you can see this timeline you had in Lowell, Massachusetts, the women rising up to protect, you know, protect wage cuts. You had the female labor reform movement of 1843. In 1871, you had Mother Jones, who, again, after her dress shop was destroyed, she started becoming a labor organizer. You had the 1903 Women's Trade Union. The reason I'm telling you this is these were truly bottoms up movement where people were demanding very basic infrastructure. They wanted clean air. They wanted clean water. They wanted their kids not to be child labor. And those movements were really disruptive. They created a phase change. And what I want to show you here is something reflected in that. Now, if you look here in the in the early 1900s, 14 out of 100,000 people were dying of infectious disease. Okay, these labor movements. What did by the time these labor movements, but long before the measles vaccine was created, look at this: infectious disease rates went down from 14 out of a thousand down to nearly a half out of a thousand. Why is this important? This is because those labor movements, those revolutionary movements in this country resulted in a phase shift where the establishment was forced to give people nutrition, vitamin A, uh, you know, sanitation, um, 
uh, all sorts of infrastructure, water systems, and those infrastructure changes really resulted in massive decline in infectious diseases. Again, 98% of measles was wiped away before the measles vaccine, which came from those revolutionary movements, bottoms up movements. I hope this is becoming clear. My big difference between these guys like Che Guevara, Marx, uh, even John Locke, much closer to, I like what Thomas Paine said, was I believe revolution comes bottoms up and a system where we have a clear goal, truth, freedom, and health, and we're willing to do the right inputs, as I just met, um, shared with you. That is what real revolution is. And again, you can see here, you know, same graph, right? Long before measles vaccine was introduced, look at this. We already had solved a lot of these issues. We didn't need the vaccine to do it because it was infrastructure, infrastructure, infrastructure. And that infrastructure was really the revolutionary thing, which was brought to you by people bottoms up. Okay. So now there, as I mentioned, if you remember my diagram in all these systems, there's always a disturbance. People get in the way who distract us. Revolutionary movements can be thrown off course. And that I want to end with by sharing with you the not so obvious establishment. Okay. The not so obvious establishment is what is created to stop real revolutionary change. Exactly. The Chicago Haymarket riot, right? And the not so obvious establishment is worse than the establishment. They are the Bobby Kennedys. They are the Bernie Sanders. They are people on the left and the right, separate from the core establishment. They're the people who manipulate people that they speak the rhetoric, but actually misguide people. So I want to share with you an, ex an example of this. So it becomes really clear. So remember here, you have the goal where we want to get, here's a control system, but you have these disturbances. And the not so obvious establishment is what disturbs us from getting to our goal. Let me repeat that. We have a goal. We want truth, freedom, and health. We want, we don't want forced vaccinations. That's one of our goals. But then there's a not so obvious establishment. They're very, very clever. They're very clever. They're the ones who speak all the words like the Robert Kennedys or the Bernie Sanders. Oh, I want to help you. But then they mislead people. Okay. And once we understand this, we can have real revolution. Otherwise, we're going to be misguided. So here you have the obvious establishment. If you go back to the 2016 election, it was Hillary Clinton and the Bushes and the, and the Clintons and the, uh, and the Kennedys or Obamas, you know, and then you have here Romney and Obama hanging out. They're all friends. Okay. Opposing that to someone like Hillary Clinton are the change agents. People come bottoms up. You may not like their politics, but they go to the streets, be it the Tea Party or people who believe in, quote unquote, you know, uh, workers' rights or people who believe in the Green Party or people who are against Monsanto. People on the streets, you may completely disagree with them, but they typically go onto the streets. Now, opposing these agents of change are the people, the obvious establishment. But there's something in between those people, the not so obvious establishment, which takes this energy as you're going to see someone like a jet. Uh, Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders talks about people and workers and all this, all just rhetoric. But what does this guy do? He says, I represent the people and not Wall Street, but vote for Hillary. You get it? He talks a game, but at the end of the day, if you can't beat him, he gave all of his votes to Hillary. And in fact, this was a great quote. Trump said, Bernie Sanders endorsing crooked Hillary is like Occupy Wall Street endorsing Goldman Sachs. It's right on the money. That's what the not so obvious establishment does. They kiss up and make up. They don't have any principles. And his goal was to take all this energy, be his, be it his founders on the ground, you know, and suck them in back into Hillary Clinton. It's a funnel. That's what they're about. And that's what the not so obvious establishment does. They take people and they manipulate people. They're two heads of the same coin. It's easy for people to see the establishment but it's hard for people to see the not so obvious establishment in the quote unquote medical freedom movement. Bobby Kennedy is right here. Okay. He's a not so obvious establishment. And if you look, the age, the change agents are us, we, the people, and look at this. These are all the obvious and not so obvious establishment. Be, be it Elizabeth Warren who actually voted for the Monsanto protection act, be it. And, the, and they're left and right. They all work together and against these people. So, the disturbance to real change, which is revolution, what you'll find is if you see people saying, let's go negotiate with the politicians, let's get a bill passed, meaning 
hold on. Now is not the time. Talk to your congressman, write to your congressman versus us building up a movement, bottoms up, bubbling up from below. They discourage conversation and they discourage us taking to the streets. Another example of this was Mahatma Gandhi. People in India were actually rising up, bottoms up in the 20s to actually throw the British out, have a good revolution. They looked to the American Revolution. Well, the British parachuted him in, made him a hero, and basically stopped a revolutionary movement, that phase shift from taking place. And India, basically what Gandhi did, it's all lies that they said they make him the saint. He actually allowed transfer of power from the obvious establishment of the British establishment, power was transferred to the Indian establishment, white men with crowns left and brown men with white hats took place. And that's what he did. And that's why people need to understand it took 70 years or 80 years, India never really had an independence. Truly, they transferred power. So in closing, revolution can be achieved through inclusivity, transparency, system thinking, decentralization, freedom, and personalization where one size does not fit all. So this is what I wanted to share with you. So my definition of revolution is this phase change, which occurs when we set our goal, in this case, truth, freedom, and health, and it's a bottoms up. And that's why, you know, I had to go do my research. You know, I did my homework. It's not like I like Karl Marx, I like Che Guevara, or I, you know, love John Locke, or I love Thomas Paine. I, and there's many others I've re researched. I wanted to go through because I wanted to really understand what their definition of revolution was. And in the modern times, can we really, using modern science, define it? So revolution is those phase changes. And I talk about that in the book. No different than water, you know, going to steam. And in many ways, Donald Trump, whether you like him or not, was one of those agents of change because he heated things up. He created enough chaos that we're in that middle state. We're not water vapor yet. We're not liquid. We're right in that phase change. And that's why it's important when you think about what I'm talking about, why I'm running for U.S. Senate and why the election here is so important, because we are at a point now where what we have defined, someone like me really defining this and really sharing this with you creates a condition for revolutionary change here in Massachusetts, for that matter, the world. So when you look at our website, you'll see that we're very politically conscious. I talk about truth, freedom, and health. You can go to our videos, we talk about it, but this is really a revolution for truth, freedom, and health. And you can go to my issues page. If you go to read all the platforms, you'll see that we have all the issues, truth, freedom, and health. And then we have all the issues underneath here, okay? This campaign is really about truth, freedom, and health. That's what it's fundamentally about because we wanna educate people that it's time that we go beyond left and right. We need to unite people in a very profoundly different way. Let me take you to that uh, site right here. So if you go to Shiva Percentage platform, you'll see it's about truth, freedom, and health. That's what our campaign's about. And that's what we believe when revolution really takes place, we move through those phase changes. So my definition of revolution, it's a very physical definition. It's not a small set of people, it's those principles. And that's why I hope this was valuable. So when people talk about fascism and nationalism and socialism, I want you to go even deeper into that. And I believe I've gone to the root of the, the, root of the issue here to really define what real change is. And then you can have a way to critique all those words that I just shared with you. Let's take some um, questions here. Jen, do you want to post some questions? Someone said, uh, revolt, but I don't fight because that gives them a reason to rule. Um, someone said, let's make Dr. Shiva part of the Great Reset. Um, well, we're all part of the Great Reset, but we really got to understand what is revolution, and I hope this has helped you. Um, someone said, the unveiling is here. We can finally see the truth and create a healthy, free uh, Jasmine Ramos. Thank you. Someone said here, liberty or bondage. Perfect, AJ. That's what we're talking about, freedom or slavery. And we need to be able to understand that difference. What is real change? And real change always comes bottoms up, not from a finite set of people. Stand together with people. Exactly. Exactly. Um, hi from Scottsdale. Great to have you. Uh, what a work for humanity. Thank you. Um, well, someone says I need to be president. I'd love to run for president, but I can't because I wasn't born in the United States. But let's get me as an ex-US Senator. I really want to ask everyone here, before I 
sign off. Please, please ask your friends, anyone you know in Massachusetts, your friends' friends, they got to get out the vote for September 1st. September 1st is a primary. It's the playoffs. What happens is the establishment doesn't tell people about the primary elections. They don't want people to vote in the primaries. They only want to wait for the general elections, the championships. By then, they put their lawyer lobbies puppets in there. So we, everyone listening, please, the way you can create revolution, bottoms up, is to call all your friends, email them, tell them they must vote in the September 1st primary. Now, I don't care about either party establishment. I'm running in the Republican Party because I needed a vehicle. The Democrats surely won't have me, but I'm running in that Republican Party swamp. But we're coming bottoms up. We're not top down. And so what we're asking people to do is tell all your friends who are registered Republicans. Also in Massachusetts, 10% are only Republicans, 30% are Democrats, but 60% of people in Massachusetts are unenrolled, no party. They can ask for the Republican ballot or the Democrat ballot in this primary. Tell your friends to ask for the Republican ballot when they go in unenrolled and vote in the primary. So everyone do this for the next week. Tell all your friends, if you're outside of the United States, you're two degrees of freedom away. You know, so friends, friends, we got to vote in this election on September 1. Someone says Antifa is also an agent change from the other side. Well, look, uh, it's a good question. Um, you can have forces of change occurring in both direction, okay? And the issue is Antifa is still top-down driven. They're really not doing bottoms up. They're people bottoms up directing them. They're actually a malignment of a bottoms up movement. They're really a set of people unleashing thugs on them. They're more like terrorists, okay? They're really terrorism. That's not bottoms up. It's different. Um, someone said, I need to know the best books on anatomy and physiology. Well, email me at vashiva at vashiva.com, Victor Alpha, S-H-I-B as in victory, A as in America, vashiva, and I'll recommend you some books. Thumbs up, please. Great. Thank you very much. Um, Pamela, Pamela Maines, I will go where I choose to go. Thank you. Okay. Uh, yes. Beyond left and right. Exactly. Yes. Someone said Antifa is a not so obvious establishment. Exactly. They're using the words against fascism when they actually practice fascist methods. Okay. That's why the only way to win is bottoms up bottoms up. And I hope that's what you've taken away. So when I, I, you know, from a scientist, I wanted to look at Marx. I wanted to look at John at Thomas Paine. I wanted to look at Che Guevara. I wanted to look at Locke because until we really look at them and understand them, we won't have the critical way to expose them. So in some ways I'm a scholar or a researcher of revolution. I hope this has been valuable. Julie says, thank you. Someone says, do I support Trump? Great question. You know, Trump, in my view, is like a fire. He's like the thing that created the phase transition. So I support him. Forget, I don't know him as a person. I've never met him. I've met some members of his family, but I do know that if you look at it objectively, per my definition, he's the fire element. He's created enough disruption that someone like me decided to run for office. And that's a good thing, okay? So I support him because he's an agent of disruption and we needed that. I hope that answered your question. Uh, we need more like you. Great. Crystal says, uh, oops, what does Crystal say here? We must know thy enemy. Exactly, Crystal. We must know thy enemy. Exactly. We're not going to be able to really critique, you know, the people who just want to do top-down fascist types of controlling working people, what they call socialism, okay? Until we understand the political theories of where all of this came from, because until we understand that these people's definition of revolution was not based bottoms up, what I've shared with you. They talked about it, but it was really top down at the end of the day. It was very valuable, Dr. Shiva. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay, it's 1147. We can take taking some other questions. Someone said, okay, you're being a politician with no answers. I'm not sure what he means by that. Um, I like Trump and Shiva. Great. Uh, let's see what we got here. Someone said, hello from Billerica, big fan, Coach Knight. Yeah, great to hear from you. By the way, this Billerica is a great town in Massachusetts. A lot of great working class people there. This movement for truth, freedom, and health 
when I say bottoms up, it's about working people, mothers and people who work for a living, produce stuff, actually have customers and have to solve problems. We do not want to vote for lawyers. And what I want to end with is asking you that it's time everyone here takes responsibility for their lives. If we got into this situation where everyone is being forced to wear masks or forced vaccinations we got here, it's because we slept. We elected these very, very horrible people. And the establishment made sure people like me weren't there for you because they controlled those primary elections. That's why I'm telling you, we got to get off our butts. Don't be lazy. You can't, you have no choice to complain because Massachusetts is the center of the deep state. Our winning this U.S. Senate seat is going to be like a revolution, not only in Massachusetts, but across this country. Having someone like me, one of us in the U.S. Senate is going to be a revolutionary moment because you talked about Trump disruption. Not only am I going to disrupt, but I have real solutions for truth, freedom and health. Truth, freedom and health. Thank you, uh, Coach Knight. Let's see what else we get. Um, Someone says, can you help the people with you data about health from government posts? Also, definitely. Um, are Delaware tag cars being stopped in Massachusetts? I'm not sure, probably. And then this is a great thing from Kiyosa. Liberty requires vigilance. Absolutely true. Anyway, in closing, I um, want to recommend all of you go to Shiva for Senate. Please take advantage of the ebook if you support the campaign. You get the book, you get access to the tool. And those of you outside of the United States, you can't donate to a federal campaign, but you can go to yourbodyyoursystem.com and get access to that. Many of you asked me how to do that, but we must win. You know, I wanted to do this talk on what is a revolution. So we actually understand what we're talking about. What is a revolution? So when I use that word, what is a system? You know what I'm talking about. It's that phase change. It's bottoms up, boiling the pot. So we move from one state to another. Okay. Thank you, everyone. It is 1149. Tell all your friends, vote September 1, the primary, wherever you are in the world, in the United States, get all your friends in Massachusetts to vote in the September 1st primary. I'm running as a Republican. If they're Republican, they can vote. If they're independent, ask, tell them to get the Republican ballot. Anyway, vote September 1st. Be well, be the light. We must win this fight. September 1st, September 1st, September 1st, victory.